This is a special night for us to come together and to reflect on an aspect of our ministry that I have personally been praying for and longing for for a long time, and so we get to spend time together reflecting on that. It is interesting as I I think about church and church life and um, and the training of men for ministry and the the calling that uh, is placed upon the church to do that, and then the privilege as a ministry to be able to now here uh, carry that out. I recognize that this is a great privilege and honor. It's not normal in ministry lives that churches do this. Though in my personal experience, every ministry I've been in has had a seminary involved in the local ministry. I was uh, saved and went to Grace Community Church, spent time with Dr. MacArthur and the ministry there, and and I saw within the context of the local church, seminary students sitting alongside of uh, the congregation, learning, uh, studying, using their gifts, and and the benefit of that in the church. And I've seen the, the work as that's taken place, as the body has encouraged each other and built one another up, and I've always appreciated that. So I went to Grace Emanuel Bible Church, and a few years into Jerry's ministry, Jerry uh, started to sit down with his dear friends and say, we need to talk about the seminary and training men. And being at the ground floor of the Expositor Seminary now 17 years ago at that time as they were talking in ministry and uh, beginning to define what it would look like, I, I saw the seminary kind of birth and, and come together and the churches uh, begin to support us. I've watched it from afar over these years and recognize the, it would be a great privilege if even our ministry was able to get to that point. And then we came to this area in about 2010 and I laid out in, you know, a list of kind of goals and uh, desires to achieve. And one of those goals that seemed way far out there was the training of men for ministry the in the context of the local church. And uh, even before we were able to get to that point, a whole lot of things had to take place, one of which is just me being here full-time and then bringing on staff that to be able to support the church and having facilities and on and on. There's a lot of things the Lord would have to do to make a ministry possible to be able to support this kind of work. And now... Here we are on this official Sunday, being able to recognize now this is part of the privilege of our ministry life for the foreseeable future. That as a ministry, we are able to identify, raise up, equip, train a guy, test his life, verify his skills and character, and then lay our hands on and affirm him and send him out to do the work of the ministry, knowing that he would be prepared uh, through the training that this would be now equipped to serve the body of Christ. Which is only just the next step in a series of other steps to come, because from here there's the training of people for the shepherding of the flock of God and counseling and discipleship, and after that there's even then outreach. If I was just thinking about the things that the church has given up over the years to others, the things that the church has given up is given up counseling. We've, we've handed that out to secular folks. We've given up training. We've given that to institutions, schools that handle training. And we've given up mission works. We've put it up into hands of mission boards to send out. All of those things should be in-house. All of those things should be from God's people from the church, holding them accountable to sound doctrine, to sound living, so that we carry out the work of the ministry, so that God's funds and God's resources are put towards the work that God is behind because they are identified and held accountable by the local church. And so we are in that process of heading towards those things, and this is just another one of those mile markers for us where we get to see that the Lord is indeed building His church and preparing this church to minister to uh, men who would be used by God to plant other churches and build those up. 
So this is kind of what I want to give you a framework on to think about and give you some perspective from our own heart. And, uh, and I reflect again what our elders have been thinking about, praying over and talking, and, and they have shared this vision uh, and desire for ministry. And so I really am speaking on behalf of not only our elders, but uh, hopefully I'll demonstrate to you as well from the commission that the scriptures give us in regards to what the church is to be engaged in. I am quite thrilled this, morning, this evening in thinking about ministry that we have six gentlemen who have been a part of Saving Grace Bible Church. Men, we've seen their lives, seen their character, tested them in many ways, seen their desire and their appetite to learn more. And from within our midst, identified these individuals who we can get behind for our elders, when each one of them had asked, could we be a part of this, they went before our elders and our elders affirmed those qualities. And now they are on the, the radar screen of all of our elders and we are watching, we'll watch their life and we will see how they progress in this process. Where they started off by saying, I have a desire. And with that desire now, they are entrusting themselves to the leadership of the church to be equipped and prepared, and of which you're going to have a part in this whole process. Some of these men may come and teach from one of the pulpits around in the ministry, and you will hear them. They will teach in a Bible study. They may come on a visitation. They may sit down in a counseling time. They will interact with you in some way, ministering the truth, and in that you will be encouraged by them. You will be supported. You will be uh, edified by their teaching. You may even see their example of godliness and be motivated to follow their example. In the midst of all of that, you're going to be built up. And they're going to be encouraged as you speak truth to them, as you tell them how they have ministered to you, how they have encouraged you. It's going to be a mutual edification that takes place. And this is by God's design. And not only will these men be equipped and prepared for ministry life, but their wives are going to sit down and fellowship together, and their wives are going to talk about ministry, and they're going to talk about how they could be a support to their husbands, and how they can be an encouragement, and how they can help their families, and how they can be a help to other ladies in ministry. Their wives are going to be given perspective about the challenges that their husbands are going to face in ministry. Part of the challenge and role of the ministry is for us to give a healthy perspective of what church ministry life is like and prepare the man of God to face that with courage, to face that challenge with conviction, to face it with a kind of confidence and faith that endures suffering well. Meantime, the wives also face a burden. wasn't Again, if your husband's in jail, the wife experiences the pain and suffering of that. As she has to minister to her kids, as she has to minister to her own heart. If a husband is facing persecution and suffering, it spreads to the whole family. And so this is not only a ministry training men, this is a ministry equipping families for the purpose of gospel ministry. And this is a privilege then, again, of the local church to be a part of. And so when we come, I just wanted to kind of set the perspective of why this was so important for us and then turn to some passages. Basically, we'll be looking through First and Second Timothy together. But before we even get there, let's just set our minds on what exactly this training is entailing. Again, I am so encouraged because as this ministry begins for us as part of a church, there will be families that will move here just to be a part of training. That will just want the affirmation that comes as they're sitting under the instruction of the fellow campus leaders. As they are being discipled, as they desire a place and a context where they can exercise their gifts. And so there will be people who come to be a part just for that. But this group. This particular group, again, has a special place in my own heart, not only because they are the first group, but because they are the first group that were raised up among us, that had 
already seen the ministry operate for a period of time and have said, that is what I would like to reflect. I remember myself that that is exactly what happened in my own life. Uh, I remember just yesterday, as we were sitting in the orientation class for the Expositor Seminary and some of the campuses were there and the new students were, were introducing themselves, there were a few young men who said, I've been a believer for three, four years. Jill, if she could reach me, was like reaching over, slapping as she recognized that was you, some young kid who just knew immediately this is what I wanted to do, to head off into school to do this kind of work, to shepherd the flock of God in a way that would minister to the body uh, and build up the church. And so we've had those men who have desired that, and they have seen the ministry operate, but they may not have necessarily been keen and clear in their thinking as to what exactly am I asking for, and what exactly am I being stretched in so that I am prepared for this work? What area are we working on? And there's some core disciplines that are emphasized at the Expositor Seminary, some core values in regards to our training of men that really, we believe, sets apart this particular training. And all of these things, if you want to figure out where this is coming from, is from the Expositor Seminary website. So if I sound like a genius, it's because Matt Wehmeyer wrote it, not me. <laughs> the um, disciplines, first of all, are expository disciplines meaning that we are committed to the biblical languages. We're committed to going back to the source. We're going back to the original languages. We're going back to the sources. We're committed to drawing out the truth. We're committed to coming to the text, analyzing the text, analyzing the grammar of the text, and, and, and working through that text to solve all those textual problems so that we would understand exactly what the author is intending to communicate. And in the midst of that, then, to once we have drawn out those details, to craft those details in such a way as to present God's message. And then to proclaim that word in such a way that demonstrates both passion and conviction. Not trying to create simply academics who are able to stand up and, uh, and read off lexical works and sound erudites. No, we are looking for those who have been gripped by the truth because they have spent, themse- spent times themselves wrestling with that truth. So the commitment in this process is to train guys to be skilled exegetes, out of which they're going to have a high view of God's word, they're going to have a high view of the ministry they're called to do, and as we saw even this morning, it's a rich privilege to be commissioned by God, sent out by him to go preach his message, a message that is able to save. So that's the first discipline. The second discipline is a theological discipline. Not only are we committed, you know, to exposing the scriptures, but we're going to train the men to exposit the scriptures in such a way as that they can develop a robust systematic theology, a theology drawn from the text, a theology that is shaped by the scriptures. They are seeking to, to inductively study the scriptures, to be able, again, to move, again, from the particulars of the text to the general applications. They're they're drawing from the truths drawn out. They are then taking those truths, systematizing them, and explaining them. So that by the end, a man studying through seminary not only would be exposed to systematic theology, he would be taken to texts and draw out from those texts, those principles, that he would then use to explain sound doctrine. So we're committed to theological disciplines. Committed even to placing theology in its proper place, not as the master driving the interpretation of the text, but as a support to our own uh, understanding. It's there, our theology is there to help inform us if we may have gone astray. It's there to help inform us to be clear as we are communicating the scriptures. We're also committed in this to the practical disciplines of pastoral shepherding, training, counseling, discipling, 
all the duties that would come, that would come in a practical ministry of God's word as pastors to shepherd the flock of God among us, to faithfully be able to carry out the work of the ministry so that God's flock is cared for. It's these disciplines that we want to put on the heart of every man who is being trained so that they have a healthy understanding of the commitment they're called to as they come to the church, to teach God's word, to be clear with the truth, to be accurate, and to care for the word of God as it ministers to God's people because there's an ever-growing love for God's people. These are the commitments that we would hope to see and desire to cultivate in each guy. And in that process, there are kind of values that our church has in the midst of this process and a value of our elders. I mean, our desire is we want to be able to teach each guy to demonstrate there, there is a, a robust scholarship demonstrated here. Now, this is going to be an academic challenge for each and every guy because they are pressing in to handle the tools And each guy who finishes, you can look back and have confidence that person could stand beside any other trained uh, seminary student and be able to accurately handle the Word of God. They have been equipped, tested, evaluated in so many ways that there is a kind of scholarship that passes on. And and the privilege of this, and this is one of the things that we've desired as a ministry, because we have been training guys. But the privilege of joining with Expositor Seminary is graduates of the seminary here could head off to other seminaries and other seminaries immediately understand and accept their training. They are, though not accredited by the state, they have been affirmed by the Church of God and by other academic institutions that our graduates have moved on to get other degrees and other institutions because they've seen the quality of the scholarship in these men. So by no means is this training in any way inferior. The fact there is a sense in many ways they are pressed further in regards to scholarship. But it goes further also mentorship. This is the personal discipleship and training that takes place from our pastors and our elders as we meet with the guys and interact with them And as, again, as you get involved in their life, there will be apprenticeship as they are serving in different ways and Bible studies, as we talked about, and fellowship as they interact with the body. Now, the question is this, what is your involvement? What are you about? And there will be many ways in which you can get involved in helping, both praying for the students as they are going to be challenged during this time, There will be times, and I certainly remember my own seminary days, sitting there in the middle of seminary going, saying to my wife, maybe I'm not called to this. Maybe uh, we should just get out right now. And she's like, no way, buddy. I haven't put in this much sacrifice for you just to drop out at this point. So I kept pressing through. And then after each semester, it just seemed to get easier. It's like, okay, well, I'll take on another semester. And again, somewhere in the middle of the semester, something came about. And I was questioning what was going on. There will be those kind of fog of war moments where the student is going to be pressed in such a way and is going to be wondering, uh, what is my name, let alone am I called to this kind of work? It's important, the body prays for them, encourages one another, supports. But there's even more. There is the times of support that will come as they have various needs, physical needs, spiritual needs that you will be able to come alongside and support. But even thinking about this, what all of this work is, is an investment into the kingdom work. We don't know how guys are going to be used how he is going to take various individuals and where he's going to plant them and how he's going to use them in the context of the church. But if there wasn't a group training, if there wasn't a ministry preparing, if there wasn't a ministry testing them, then there wouldn't be those men sent out to do that very work. Therefore, there wouldn't be the response to the truth and there wouldn't be the fruit there and they wouldn't have then the impact. So it all starts at this very stage here. And on top of that, part of the suffering of the church is the suffering the church has suffered from a lack of accountability. 
a lack of people saying, wait, what are you doing there? And why are you doing that? And give an account for yourself for why you're teaching what you're teaching. And oh, by the way, look at that practice. Is that lining up with the scriptures? This community of fellowship that starts with the body of Christ here getting involved in one another's lives creates that collective awareness. Are you prepared? And we will be watching We will be analyzing, we will be looking at your life, we will be evaluating your doctrine and teaching because, again, as we learned this morning here, we're not self-appointed. We are ministers, ambassadors of Christ. We are fellow representatives that hold one another accountable to sound doctrine and then find unity around sound doctrine and godly living. We find unity around the truth. So this is why this work is so important. As you are praying for them, as you are supporting these men, as you are involved in their lives, then they find that kind of encouragement and care that comes necessary to strengthen them. But I wanted to maybe take tonight and put a healthy burden upon each one of the students. Kind of in love, of course. But in kind of reminder of the particular pressures and responsibilities that we have been given from the scriptures that really mark out the work of the ministry. And I'll frame it up with what Paul said to Timothy. So if you want to turn to 1 Timothy, and we'll just walk through the two books, 1 and 2 Timothy, at a very high level, but we'll see some of the exhortations and encouragements that Paul gave to his son in the faith, Timothy, as he was prepping Timothy for ministry. I love that we could go to Matthew chapter 10, and you can see in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus equipping the disciples to go out for ministry. This here, book of First, Second Timothy, Titus, pastoral epistles, or Paul's kind of seminary training for Timothy, Placing on Timothy a kind of perspective that he needed to have to be able to be effective at the work of ministry. And in this, I probably won't be able to write them all down, but there are 44 exhortations. So I'll just walk through them. You pick the ones that are your favorite. But 44 ex, you know, exhortations from the Apostle Paul to Timothy to remind Timothy of the kind of work that he is to be involved in. So that Timothy, if he's going to be an effective leader, he's going to be doing all of these things. Maybe just to kind of help you categorize it as a a summary, there are five categories. Let me give you the end categories, and then we'll go back and look at the exhortations. Here are the five categories or of areas in which a man is to be effective and to be prepared for if he's going to effectively minister. The first is this. He is to be faithful in his preaching of biblical truth. The exhortations that have come out here is an exhortation to faithfully handle the word of God. Secondly, he is to be bold in exposing and refuting error. He is to be bold. He is to boldly speak out against that which contradicts a knowledge of the truth. He is to refute it. He is to confront it. He is to expose that error as it is ungodly and raised up against the knowledge of God. He is, thirdly, to be an example of godliness to the flock. He is to know the truth, but he is also to live the truth. He is to be growing and ever maturing. He cannot say of himself, well, I'm just this way. This is just my personality, so I get a free pass in some area of my life. No, he is ever to be growing in godliness so that he is an example to the flock. Fourthly, he is to be diligent and to work hard in ministry so that he is to be exhausted in the pursuits of ministry work. And then fifthly, he is to be willing to suffer hardship and persecution in the service of the Lord. These are the five categories that all of these now 44 exhortations are going to fit in. All right. So here are the exhortations. Like some of the guys are saying at this point, I think I might not want to go to class now. Now, these are glorious truths. Back in 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 5, Paul exhorts Timothy here to correct those teaching false doctrine and to call them to a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
That's what he described in verse 5. When he had brought up those who were given over to speculations, he says, no, but our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Timothy, this is what you're to do, to be engaged in teaching those who are inclined to false doctrine. You're to teach them and model love and pure doctrine from a good conscience and sincere faith. Secondly, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1, we are to fight for divine truth and for God's purposes, keeping our own faith and a good conscience. So that, again, this is what he says in verse 18, This commandment I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. The pastor is to be ever growing in his faith, ever growing and maturing. He is to be diligently at work in this. Because his battle is a spiritual battle that is going to test him in many different ways. He's sitting down with that counselee who is burdened, even given in to various areas of temptation, and is now struggling with bringing his heart under the truth. The counselor is going to be, and the pastor is going to be, in a spiritual war in that moment, and his faith needs to be strong. He needs to be ready to endure through that time. And so this exhortation here to Timothy to, to keep the faith. We are, thirdly, to pray for the lost. To pray for the lost and to lead the men of the church to do the same. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, this describes that. Timothy is to model this burden for the lost, this heart for others, this heart for those who are under judgment. And he is to be encouraging the church to be engaged in this. Fourthly, he is to call women in the church to fulfill their God-given role of submission and to raise up godly children, setting an example of faith, love, and sanctity with self-restraint. You see that in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 2. This pastor, again, is to be able to, to encourage the women to be godly and to be exercising their gifts in the proper context and to, to be growing in their godly example. Chapter 3, Paul exhorts Timothy to say to Timothy, you need to carefully select spiritual leaders for the church on the basis of their giftedness, godliness, and virtue. A shepherd in the church is not just simply coming up and teaching on Sunday. He is cultivating spiritual leaders, identifying raw talents, investing in them, encouraging them, helping them grow. He is is measuring and weighing those who are desiring ministry work, and he is encouraging them in the pursuits of service in the church. We are as well, as to continue on, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, Paul tells Timothy there that they are to, he is to recognize the source of error and those who teach it and to point out these things to the rest of the church. A pastor, a faithful shepherd, one who is ministering, identifies air that's creeping in and calls it out and even warns the church of that air. That's what verse 6 emphasizes. Notice, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. Again, those who were paying attention, as verse 1 says, to myths, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. We are to, the pastor is to call those things out and warn the flock of what is coming. This is Paul's exhortation to Timothy. We are, the pastor as well, seventhly, is to be constantly nourished on the words of Scripture and of sound teaching. It is to be avoiding the myths and false doctrines. So he is to be ever increasing in sound doctrine so that he is strengthened with the truth. Eighth, verses 7 through 11, 
He is to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. Yes, it's great to be disciplined, but it's specifically a discipline for godliness' sake he should be cultivating. Verse 12, Paul emphasizes that he is to boldly, Timothy is to boldly teach and command the truth of God's word. He is to boldly teach it. He's not to be filled with timidity. As he says there in verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Timothy, you are to model truth. You are to boldly proclaim it. That's what the tenth principle, he is to model it. That's as verse 12 emphasizes. So not only is he proclaiming it boldly, he is modeling it as he is proclaiming it. And again, even though he may be, as emphasized here, youthful, may be young, he gets out of the way. It's the truth that's on display. He is just proclaiming it and living by it. Verses 13 and 14, Paul emphasizes to Timothy there, the 11th exhortation, faithfully read, explain, and apply the scriptures publicly. Again, I, this is a, one of those encouraging exhortations here. He says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And the emphasis here, again, be engaged in the ministry of God's Word. Like it would be very easy for me or other pastors to get up and share our favorite topics. I mean, I would be a very engaging person at that point. I might even be funny at times. But to diligently wrestle with the scriptures and understand what the message means and to wrestle through the details, that is what we are to be engaged with. It is our labor and work. Of which comes the next exhortation, verse 15 and 16. He exhorts him, be progressing towards Christ-likeness. Be ever-growing, Timothy. Don't be contented as if, well, I finished my degree, I've reached the top level, now I don't have to progress anymore. No, there is an ever-increasing maturing that is taking place. I love this. Verse 15, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Timothy, be ready to be regularly learning and growing so that you will be effective. I say that one of the, one of the evidences of a ministry that moves away from the study of God's word and the teaching of it is spiritual stagnation. There is no pressing on, there's no learning more, there's no advancing because they're not being pressed and exposed by the scriptures to move on, to grow. And so Timothy, this is, again, the exhortation from Paul is, be ready, you will always be growing and learning. He goes on, chapter 5, verse 13, exhortation, be gracious and gentle in confronting the sin of God's people. So he says, verse, of verse 1, chapter 5, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women as mothers, to the younger women as sisters in all purity. Timothy, the disciple, the man who's going to shepherd the flock of God, has to understand the proper context of how to minister to others. Even if they ignore the rules, you are walking by God's principles. Yes, they may slander you, but you walk as God has called, patiently, graciously, mercifully, gently, ministering the truth. You, 14th exhortation, you give special consideration and care to those who are widows. You see that in verses 13 through 16. To honor faithful church leaders who work hard, chapter 5, 17 through 21. There to well as to choose church leaders with great care, seeing to it that they are both mature and proven. 
See that in verse 22 of chapter 5. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for their sins or the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. Timothy, you are to carefully, diligently evaluate these who would be called to ministry and you're not to be hasty in this work. All of these. I mean, think about it. If the church had just listened to these commands right here, how well it could be protected. Next exhortation is seen in verse 23. Take care of your physical condition so you are strong and able to serve. Watch over your own health. Be careful. Again, as he says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. Timothy, take care of those physical ailments you have. Prepare that temple. Watch over it because that is what you will be using to minister. Reminds me of the words of Robert Murray McChaney when he was writing in his diary. He says, The Lord has given me one message and one horse to deliver that message. And alas, I've killed that one horse. And it's just as he was about to die. He recognized that he didn't take care of his physical ailment as he was pressing so hard in ministry that he failed to take care of the physical ailments. We are the next exhortation. Chapter 5, verse 24 through chapter 6 and verse 6. We're to teach and preach principles of true godliness help people to discern between true godliness and hypocrisy you're through the teaching and through example you're to expose hypocrisy and truth and you're timothy to prepare people to understand what truth looks like and what hypocrisy looks like so that is evident to all and you're to flee timothy chapter 6 verse 7 through 11 you're to flee from the love of money And you are to pursue righteousness and godliness and love and perseverance and gentleness, as chapter 6 and verse 11 says. Notice, but flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. This is to be your character and what you are to reflect regularly. Verse 12, fight for the faith against all enemies and attacks. Verses 17 through 19, instruct the rich to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous. And verses 20 and 21, guard the word of God as a sacred trust and a treasure. 23 exhortations there that Paul gives to Timothy, and that's just his first work. Now we have the remaining 21 from chapter from second timothy again similar kind of themes that we've been emphasizing here keep the gift of god in you fresh and useful second timothy 1 6 timothy yes you've been equipped yes you've been identified with certain spiritual gifts you keep cultivating those gifts so that they are growing second timothy 1 6 and don't be timid chapter 1 and verse 7 Notice, as Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Timidity, conduct yourself in, yourself in such a way as that you're not timid in this work. You are, under, you are operating by the spirit and power of God in the ministry. Never be ashamed of Christ or anyone who serves Christ. Verses 8 through 11. Hold tightly to the truth and guard it. Verses 12 through 14. Be strong in your character. Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. That's what he says. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Have a strong character that flows from this grace of God. And then, the verse we love, chapter 2 and verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That apostolic teaching which Paul has delivered, that apostolic teaching which he has received from Christ and delivered to the church, this teaching you continue with. You take the teaching and you pass it on. 
Again, this is the joy. We're not giving our own message, our own ideas, our own teachings. We're not even looking to church history as to find out what was popular in the church. No, we take what the Lord has delivered to us through His apostles and prophets, which is the foundation of the church, their ministry. So, Timothy, you are to do this. It says, on, we are to suffer difficulty and persecution willingly while making maximum effort for Christ. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 7 describes that. We are to keep our eyes on Christ at all times. Verses 8 through 13. We are to lead with authority. Verse 14. We are to interpret and apply the scripture accurately. Verse 15. To avoid useless conversation that only leads to ungodliness, verse 16. We're not engaged in wrangling about words, engaged in various disputes. We're not running around uh, trying to uh, argue all the time to share our, our ideas. No, we are ministering as effective, godly servants, the very word of God. What I, pre- what I appreciate about this even is that, again... The ministry of the word is clear. And as we're shepherding God's people and ministering the truth, our hearts are comforted as we know the message is not our own, but the Lord's message. 35th exhortation, be an instrument of honor set apart from sin and useful to the Lord. Verses 20 and 21 of chapter 2. Flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith and love. Verse 22, refuse to be drawn into philosophical and theological wrangling. Verse 23, notice what he says, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. Be the kind of spiritual leader that isn't engaged in fighting, it isn't engaged in speculations and philosophical wrestlings. No, you carry yourself in such a way that you are not quarrelsome. Verses 24 through 26, do not be argumentative, be kind, teachable, gentle, patient when wronged. Chapter 3, he moves on and exhorts them. From verses 1 through 15, you're going to face dangerous times and you're to do it with a deep knowledge of the word of God. Face the difficulties, face the challenges with a deep knowledge of the truth. And this is absolutely essential. I was just meeting with a pastor this week who is talking about the war in Ukraine and is grieved by the suffering the church is facing in Ukraine. And he was warning me that the the church is facing the first war, a physical war, but when that ends, they're going to face a second war, the spiritual war of all the suffering people have experienced over these years. Of which I exhorted them, you need to be prepared to understand what God says about the problem of evil. You have to give an answer for how God is using evil. You need to be able to take people's hearts and mind and take it off of this worldly perspective and put it on God or you are not going to be able to help these people. We cannot give an answer from the scriptures about suffering and difficulty in this world. We won't be able to help anyone. Paul saying to Timothy here, Timothy, get ready for these difficulties and be ready to face these difficulties with a clear understanding of the knowledge of God's word. Five more. We're almost done. This, this flogging is about to end. All right, the, chapter 3, 16 through 17, understand the scriptures and its basis uh, for our ministry And all legitimate ministry revolves around the inspired word of God. Verses chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach it regularly, faithfully, teach it in such a way. Again, here's these words that uh, I think the church doesn't have an appetite for anymore. Reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. We are confronting, exposing sin and error. But you do it in such a way with patience and instruction. You do it in such a way with gentleness and wisdom, demonstrating again the riches of God's word. Be sober in all things, verse 5. Endure hardships, verse 5. 
and do the work of the ministry. That's what he says there. Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist, Timothy. 44 exhortations. Just welcome to the calling to pastoral ministry. The regular practice of church ministry. And every one of your elders, your pastors, are engaged in this work regularly. They have to be engaged in this. They cannot get out of any one of these areas and say, well, that just doesn't work for me. I'm not the kind of guy who goes out into public like that. I like to privately sit back and do my thing from behind my computer screen. No, they are called to effectively shepherd the flock of God to fulfill these ministry exhortations to be useful by God to do the work of the ministry. Now, I'd say to you, the church, this is a kind of work you can get behind. Because as you support as you encourage, as you pray, as you come alongside these men, you are equipping them for a good work to be involved in. The kind of work, again, that will bear out much fruit. We have no idea of the extent of that fruit. But we already know this, that of the graduates all around the world, the church is mightily growing and maturing. And at some point, again, we're going to look back and we're going to see this time and see these particular individuals and the way God set his hand upon them and then see the fruit of the ministry and we're going to rejoice together that God went far beyond what we possibly could have thought or imagined. Well, as I said, this is just Paul's exhortation to ministry preparation. We could spend time and probably will at another time and Jesus' exhortation in Matthew chapter 10. But what I wanted to put on all of our minds is this is what we're called to. And this is what we're going to be striving for and encouraging one another towards. And this is the kind of ministry perspective that we want to have so that we are preparing people indeed for the days ahead to be effective. Because my greatest joy is to see people effective in the use of their spiritual gifts. And if they exceed far beyond me, my heart rejoices in all of that. I would love for nothing more that somebody came to our ministry, was a part, and left, and they would say, I am a better person because of my time there. I know more. I have grown in godliness. I have been stretched in various ways. I have been... Uh, affirmed and supported, etc., so that my time there was useful for the ministry. And then they take those things and grow. That is my greatest joy. And so with all of that said, we have six guys that have said, all right, I'm crazy enough to want to do that. They've thought to themselves that uh, I, I would like to. I just don't know the pace by which I will go about it. Uh, but I want to begin to engage in this particular work. And so what I'm going to ask is for each of the guys to come up, and I'll call up their names, and you guys will stand up here. And then I'm going to invite Pastor Eric to come, and he is going to pray for them, over them. And then afterwards, we'll have a time of fellowship together. But these are so you can see their faces, and you know many of these guys, but this is, again, public affirmation time. And again, behind each of these guys, a wife who's supporting them, who is behind them. So in the future, we'll have times where we can help recognize the wives, but tonight we'll just recognize the guys. So if I call your name, head on up here, Alex Antonyuk and Nick Camacho and Joe Giro and Jason Hurleyhe. And Jonathan Mitchell and Russ McManamy. Again, uh, as I said, each of these guys had called and uh, had interacted with the elders in the church and talked about what the Lord was doing and their desire. And they had said, we desire to be further trained and we have affirmed them. And I'm going to ask Eric to come up and to pray for these 
gentlemen. Father, we are humbled as a church that you'd give us this tremendous privilege and responsibility to entrust the ministry of the word to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. And as we embark in this task, we recognize that we are in desperate need of your grace for you to give us strength and wisdom to be faithful in this remarkable stewardship that you've entrusted to us. And we want to take time now to pray for each of these men that you would pour out your empowering and sustaining grace upon them, that they would be men of godly character and not just manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their public and visible life, but also men who would be winning the private battles in their heart, that they would have a ministry of spiritual integrity as they keep a close watch on their own hearts and on their doctrine. We pray that they would be men who would follow in the footsteps of Ezra, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach it to others. May this time of training be used to promote growth in godliness, skill in handling the scriptures, and the development of biblical convictions that they will be immovable in. And Father, we are also mindful that pressures are coming. Academic pressures, work pressures, health pressures, financial pressures, familial Whatever trials and difficulties that you've ordained for them in your perfect and wise plan, we ask that you would give these men hearts to respond in submissive, humble faith to these various challenges. Strengthen them and give them a spirit of endurance. May they be humbly taught not only through your word, but also by your providence that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in weakness. We ask that you'd guard them from the schemes of Satan, who would love to destroy their faith and destroy their families. We know he would even love for these men to learn all about theology and ministry and preaching while their love for Christ and his people wanes. So guard them from that temptation. May their minds be so saturated with the truth that they can immediately recognize the lies that would lead them down that path and help them in all circumstances to take up the shield of faith with which they can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And Father, as we draw to a close by praying over these men, we want to acknowledge the great benediction we find at the end of the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.